0: Hello, everybody. I'm Ward Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And I'm Natasha Cowden, coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast.
0: On today's program, a judge has upheld Josh Duggar's conviction on child pornography charges and a prominent Austin, Texas church that had been started by the Anglican Church of North America has decided that it's too liberal for that denomination, and it's decided to affiliate with the Episcopal Church instead. Plus, a couple of new studies indicate that giving to Christian ministries could be down in the coming year.
1: We begin today with news that a former trustee of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary is calling for a forensic audit of the school.
0: Aaron Sligar, the former pastor of Living River Church, a Baptist church in Sutton, West Virginia, believes in the mission of the Southern Baptist Convention and has encouraged his congregation for years to give generously to the denomination— which, of course, is the largest Protestant body in the U.S. But Sligar has had a harder time in recent years making the case to his congregation for generosity. In June, the Board of Trustees at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is one of the SBC's flagship schools, announced that its leaders had run up $140 $140 million in deficit spending over the past 20 years, and it was a pattern of financial mismanagement that has, in fact, left the school's future in jeopardy. The school's accreditor has issued a warning, giving the seminary two years to make improvements.
1: Sligar, the former trustee of the seminary, said that Southwestern Financials Crisis puts the SBC's relationships with individual churches at risk. Working together is built on trust, especially when it comes to money, said Sleeger. Now, Baptists trust the money their pastors ask will go to God's work and won't be wasted.
0: Right now, Sleeger said, there are no good answers for what's gone wrong at Southwestern. Much of the blame for the school's troubles was laid at the feet of the former president, Adam Greenway, who resigned uh, in the fall of 2022, nearly a year ago, after a task force appointed By the Board of Trustees, criticized his spending. According to the report, that spending was without deference to financial controls and seminary financial policies. The report cited, for example, $1.5 million spent on renovations and decorations for the president's official residence on campus, including an espresso machine that cost $11,000. Some $60,000 was spent on Christmas decorations and more than $25,000 on artwork.
1: Sligar quit the board in June. He said that Greenway deserves some blame, but not all of it.
0: Sligar said that in allowing Greenway to resign, the trustees shirked their own responsibility. If Greenway was solely to blame, he said, why didn't we fire him? And he learned more about the school's finances while he was a trustee, and that's why he is now asking for this forensic audit. Sligar said that his call for a forensic audit while he was on the board of trustees was rejected, and that's why he is now going public with this demand.
1: Our next story is a follow-up to a story we've been following for a couple of years. It's the story of Josh Duggar's conviction on child pornography charges.
0: On Monday of this week, a three-judge panel of the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the conviction of Josh Duggar, who is, of course, the former star of TLC's show 19 and Counting. Duggar was convicted of downloading and possessing child pornography back in December of 2021, and in May of 2022, he was sentenced to 151 months. That's more than 12 years in prison. Duggar was featured on 19 and Counting for 10 seasons alongside his siblings and parents, Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar. His parents are outspoken proponents of both the Quiver Full movement, which emphasizes large families and bans birth control, and the Institute of Basic Life Principles, which was founded by Bill Gothard.
1: Both the Duggars and Gothards IBLP were, we also the focus of Amazon Prime's hit docuseries, Shiny Happy People, Duggar Family Secrets. As the series unfolds, it paints a picture of abuse and cover-up present in both the Duggar family and the IBLP.
0: In 2006, Duggar admitted to molesting five girls while he was still in his teens. Four of the girls were his sisters. The family kept Josh's sins quiet and sent him to an IBLP camp in an effort to rehabilitate him. His acts of molestation, though, remained hidden until 2015. And after the news broke, TLC canceled the
1: family's show. Our next story is one we mentioned at the top of the show, Resurrection Anglican Church South Austin plans to leave the more conservative Anglican Church of North America to affiliate with the Episcopal Church. It is the second church in the last year to do so.
0: According to a post on the church's website by the church rector, Sean mccain Tiris, the parish voted in favor of the change by more than 80%. Now, as you said, Natasha, this is the second church that has disaffiliated with ACNA. Last October, the Table Church in Indianapolis voted to leave ACNA to join the more liberal Episcopal Church. The rector specifically identified ACNA's restrictions on women's ordination as as a reason for pursuing this change. Res Austin, as the uh, church in Austin is often called, apparently left for similar reasons as the Table Church. It cited ACNA's prohibitions against women bishops and what it called the full inclusion of LGBTQIA in the church, in other words, the Episcopal Church's full inclusion, as a reason for disaffiliating with ACNA and going to the Episcopal Church.
1: ACNA is a young denomination formed in 2009 in Bedford, Texas, over disputes among Anglicans and Episcopalians regarding the ordination of women and homosexual clergy.
0: Yeah, and I should add as a uh, point of disclosure here that I am a member of an ACNA church here in the Charlotte area. ACNA has about 130,000 members in nearly 1,000 congregations around the country. Now, the mainline Episcopal church is considerably larger. It has 1.6 million members officially, but membership has been declining fairly dramatically over the last 30 years and less than a half million actually attend church according to the church's own records and it continues to shrink at the rate of about one to three percent per year
1: when we need to take a break when we return we'll take a look at another denomination in decline the united methodist church some new developments there too I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host, Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. at savethestorks.com. Welcome back.
1: I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, the story we promised before the break, it's the latest in the slow motion disillusion of the United Methodist Church.
0: Now, earlier this year, the seven United Methodist Churches in Amarillo, Texas voted to leave uh, the country's second largest Protestant denomination, the UMC, uh, over issues, again, of homosexuality and gender identity. Now, the departure of all seven UMC churches in Amarillo, a city of about 200,000 people, made Amarillo the largest city in the nation that didn't have a single United Methodist Church congregation and left no where for those who felt an allegiance for the UMC to go.
1: But that's about to change.
0: It is, uh, but the circumstances have caused some church watchers to say that what's happening in Amarillo is in some ways a metaphor for what is happening in the United Methodist Church. How so? Well, for one thing, the pastor starting the new church is the Reverend Margie McNair, uh, an 83-year-old UMC minister who had actually retired last year. She's coming out of retirement to spearhead the launch of this new UMC church, and they're meeting for the first time in a senior living home. And though there used to be seven thriving uh, United Methodist Churches in Amarillo, as I mentioned, this new church, which, which is now the only one in the city, has only about 150 people in attendance, and more than half of them are over the age of 60.
1: Warren, let's look next at what Oklahoma-based ministry Voice of the Martyrs is doing in Ethiopia.
0: Ethiopia has seen an increase in religious persecution in the last few years, and a recent supporter email, Voice of the Martyrs, mentioned its project in the North Shewa region of central Ethiopia, where it has helped about 1,200 Christians who are being persecuted by giving them food, shelter, clothing, medical supplies, and
1: Bibles. So, Ministry Watch contacted Voice of the Martyrs to gather more information about the project's details.
0: That's right. It was interesting because you don't often or always think of Ethiopia as being an area of Christian persecution because Ethiopia is a majority Christian country. But the North Shewa region, with its population of about 1.8 million, is majority Muslim. That, according to Todd Nettleton of Voice of the Martyrs. Nettleton told Ministry Watch that Voice of the Martyrs has seen a significant increase since 2019 in the amount of Christian persecution in the country. As radical Islam grows there, so does Christianity. Christian persecution, he said. In 2020, there was also a civil war that broke out. Uh, The region is, is a hotbed for ethnic and religious tension, so VOM sent local teams to visit churches and local contacts there to assess whether the harm was occurring as a result of war or Christian persecution. They determined that war was being used as a cover to target Christians.
1: Voice of the Martyrs officially got involved in 2021. It deployed resources to help rebuild churches that had been burned and to provide immediate assistance to those suffering. Nettleton says Voice of the Martyrs tries first to source materials in a local area or region rather than shipping them internationally.
0: Yeah, Voice of the Martyrs has two priorities in a situation like the one in North Shewa. Number one, replace what is lost and then focus on unmet needs. The second comes after the dust settles and Voice of the Martyrs evaluates uh, what needs remain among persecuted Christians after other humanitarian relief has fizzled out. Now, to learn more about what Voice of the Martyrs is doing in Ethiopia, I really recommend checking out Kim Roberts' article that uh, Natasha, you and I have just kind of excerpted in our conversation today. There's a lot more there. I think it's really fascinating and you can find it on the front page of the Ministry Watch website. By the way, I also want to mention that Voice of the Martyrs earns a high donor confidence score from Ministry Watch and a score of 85 out of 100. Its financial efficiency rating is four out of five stars, again, one of our top ratings. VOM is a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, but it doesn't file its Form 990s with the IRS, so it didn't receive our top transparency grade, which would be A. Instead, it receives a C.
1: Warren, we need to take another break. But before we do that, tell us about a new series that Ministry Watch is starting this week. Yeah,
0: you know, here at Ministry Watch, we write a lot about charity and philanthropy. In fact, we've got a couple of stories later in the program about uh, kind of trends in charity. But most of what we write about is focused on the individual donor. Uh, Advice for donors to give more effectively, or warnings about what to watch out for in ministries not to give to. Recently, though, we've become aware of some churches who are modeling generosity for their members and also for others who might be looking in. And we've started a series this week called Generous Churches.
1: In the first article of that series, Kim Roberts profiles a church in Houston that models radical generosity.
0: Uh, That's right. Uh, For example, a clandestine nighttime operation to print Bibles for Iranian Christians meant overcoming a big hurdle. They needed $3,000 to fire up the printing machines. Enter the generosity of Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church— Uh, During the morning worship service, congregation members were told about this challenge, this opportunity, and instead of giving $3,000, they ended up giving $17,000 for this effort.
1: Kim discovered that this sort of generosity is not unusual for this church—
0: Generosity, in fact, has been a part of MDPC's DNA since it was founded way back in 1954 on three principles, even then, discipleship, prayer and radical generosity. And by radical generosity, MDPC means matching dollar for dollar the money spent each year on church operations with money given to those in need. In other words, it gives away 50% of all the money it takes in. Delgado said that that was about $6.8 million last year alone. The generosity and giving of the church has attracted members that have the same mindset, allowing the church to be even more generous. It's a healthy, self-perpetuating cycle, according to Amy Delgado, who is the church's outreach director.
1: MDPC is a large church in Houston with about 4,000 members. When the people attend the new member class and introduce themselves, the majority mentioned the reason they came to MDPC was its commitment to generosity. In
0: 2023, MDPC is partnering with 89 local ministries and 36 global ministries and missionaries. Each of the partners is vetted by church committees who meet with the ministries and conduct on-site visits. They consider factors such as the impact of the group, how effective it is, and how responsible it is with finances. By the way, the committee members receive training in how to evaluate these ministries, such as, for example, how to read a Form 990.
1: Well, I know you especially like that.
0: I do. Learning to read a Form 990 should be an essential skill for Christian donors, especially ministry leaders. Uh, And I'm glad to see a church is out there teaching it. Uh, By the way, there is a lot more to this story. You can read about it by going to the Ministry Watch website. The story is right on the front page. And stay tuned. As we said earlier, this is just the first in the Generous Churches series.
1: Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment.
2: Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to SaveTheStorks.com. That's SaveTheStorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first?
0: Well, a new study by Barnett Research unveils some interesting trends about Gen Z millennials and their generosity. Uh, The study as a whole analyzes giving trends both charitable contributions and volunteerism broken down by the various generations.
1: What are the key findings?
0: Well, only about 30% of millennials felt that young adults, millennials and Gen Z, were more generous than their elders. Across generational segments, only a small percentage believed that society was becoming more generous as a whole. Boomers are the most cynical of younger generation generosity, with about 53% saying that the younger generation is less generous than their elders.
1: So does the data support that perception? I mean, are younger people less generous?
0: Well, by many measures, the answer to that question is yes. About 51% of Gen Z said that they gave to charity, including church, in 2021, which was the year that was measured. About 64% of boomers and 72% of elders said that they gave to charity that year.
1: That's a big difference.
0: Well, it is, but it's only part of the story. Younger folks, and that would include Gen Z, Gen X, and millennials, are more than twice as likely to volunteer for a nonprofit than baby boomers. And I think it's also important to note that younger people have a lot more financial responsibilities in many cases than boomers and elders. They are often still paying student loans, they're buying their first houses, they're raising their children. Uh, I've been looking at data like this for a very long time, Natasha, and I've come to two conclusions. First, we should all be more generous, whether we're boomers or millennials, and that's borne out by the fact that very few of us are actually giving anything near the biblical tithe, even Christians. And secondly, we should lighten up on young people they have and should have different priorities than older folks like me. Often surveys such as this one don't take into account these differences in responsibilities and priorities that different life changes compel on all of us.
1: Now, Warren, to your point that we should all be giving more, and before we leave surveys and numbers behind for the week, you've got another survey that makes that point.
0: Yeah, a decrease in both the number of donors and dollars uh, given was evident across all donor types during the first quarter of 2023, with major donors uh, causing an outsized drop in both dollars and donor uh, retention. This is uh, from the Foundation for Philanthropy, They who uh, did this study. They paired uh, those numbers with a sharp drop in dollars given by new donors. Fundraisers, they say, should be prepared for big challenges for the rest of the year and into next year. Overall, donor participation dropped about 3.8%, and that was the seventh consecutive quarter of year-over-year declines in donor participation.
1: And Ministry Watch has a survey of its own.
0: Yeah, we just completed our quarterly survey of the CEOs of the thousand largest Christian ministries in the nation. This quarter, in addition to the normal questions we ask about their optimism over the year ahead, we asked a couple of special questions about cyber fraud and cyber attack.
1: What were the key findings?
0: Well, 16% of the ministries we surveyed say that their ministry had experienced financial fraud or a cyber attack within the last 12 months. Of the ministries that experienced a financial or cyber-based crime, about 31% said that it was perpetuated by someone outside the organization. 6% said that it was an insider. committed the offense. Now, I should add to this that the Center for the Study of Global Christianity has reported that one in three churches will become the victim of embezzlement during their lifetime, and 27% of those churches won't report the crime. If these trends continue, embezzlement will cost churches about $170 billion by the year 2050.
1: Is there anything ministries and churches can do to prevent this fraud?
0: Yeah, they can. Financial fraud uh, can be mitigated or prevented with the right checks in place, checks and balances. Common suggestions include requiring two check signers implementing a credit card purchase approval policy and reconciling bank statements uh, by someone who is not the check signer. And by the way, back in April, attorney Matt Brannock spoke with me about the problem of financial fraud in churches and how to prevent it. It was one of our podcast extra episodes. If you're new to the podcast, uh, you can find it by going to the Ministry Watch website, hit the podcast tab at the top of the page, and then scroll down until you see that particular episode.
1: And who did Christina Darnell feature in Ministries Making a Difference?
0: Well, there are two that I wanna focus on in particular. One ministry is called A3. It's working with churches in Japan to identify and train leaders of the next generation. Uh, We've written a number of times here at Ministry Watch about the challenge pastors and ministry leaders face as they get older in finding quality successors. In Japan, that issue is even more pronounced since the, the population is both declining and getting older all at the same time. So A3 is trying to help pastors Christian business leaders solve that problem. Also, I want to mention the Fellowship of Associates of Medical Evangelism, or FAME, for short. It's partnering with another ministry called Remember the Children. Remember the Children provides housing and families for orphans in Romania, but they recently expanded to Tanzania, where it's estimated that there are 3.1 million children who are orphaned there. That's where Fame is helping to build a healthcare clinic by donating $30,000 to Remember the Children to support that effort.
1: You can find more ministries making a difference at the Ministry Watch website. Christina rounds up a handful of ministries every week that are working in their local communities or communities that they serve. It's a reliable bit of good news in the midst of what can sometimes feel pretty discouraging. Now, Warren, do you have any final thoughts before we go today?
0: Well, I did want to mention a story that we don't have time to completely unpack today. Uh, I wrote a piece on PEPFAR, the President's Emergency Plan for Age Relief, PEPFAR was also the subject of this week's extra episode, so I commend both the article and the podcast to you, especially since Congress is debating the reauthorization of PEPFAR this year. And finally, a quick reminder that Ministry Watch is itself a donor-supported organization, and if you make a gift to Ministry Watch during the month of August, you'll receive a digital subscription to World Magazine as our thank you. A digital subscription to world would cost you more than $50 if you just, you know, went to their website and bought it at full price. But you get to decide how much you want to give, though, of course, we hope you'll be generous. Just go to the Ministry Watch website, hit the donate button at the top of the page.
1: The producers for today's program are Rich Rosell and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Paul Colery, Bob Smitanya, Belen Hollers, Daniel Ritchie, Kim Roberts, Christina Darnell, and You Warren. A special thanks to the Nonprofit Times for contributing material for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.